Welcome to Kids Considered, where two pediatricians discuss children's health topics of interest to parents in a podcast with new subjects considered every episode. I'm Dr. Lena Vanderlist. And I'm Dr. Dean Blumberg. And we're both pediatricians at UC Davis Children's Hospital in Sacramento, California. So some parents may have heard rumblings and news reports recently about changes to the guidelines put out by the American Academy of Pediatrics surrounding safe sleep and breastfeeding. So why does this matter? Are these big changes? Well, it is big news because the AAP, you know, also known as the American Academy of Pediatrics, is the overarching organization that reviews and provides evidence-based advice for pediatricians to follow and discuss with families at their well checks. So when there is a change in these best practices, it's important that both doctors and families become aware of the new recommendations and also why they have changed. Right. So today we're going to do an evidence-based update for you guys. Let's start with the changes to the safe sleep guidelines. These 2022 safe sleep guidelines are based on an evidence review from nearly 160 scientific studies since 2015 when the Academy's last safe sleep update was. Right. These guidelines were released at the end of June 2022 and published in the July 2022 medical journal Pediatrics. The guidelines are titled Sleep-Related Infant Deaths, Updated 2022 Recommendations for Reducing Infant Death in the Sleep Environment. But don't be scared. I mean, the death in there is kind of intense and freaky title for parents to hear, but it's, it's all about safe sleep. Right. So we do know that SIDS, or Sudden Infant Death Syndrome, is one of the biggest fears for most new parents. I mean, it definitely was one of mine for those first few months. And so I think it's worth commenting on that, that the recent study that made the news that was talking about like a biomarker that they found for SIDS. I don't know if you had heard about that, Dr. Dean. Yeah, yeah, that was in the news. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, so what do families need to know about this study, and what, what is a biomarker in the first place? Right, so a biomarker is a molecule or substance that is measurable in the blood, and that can give us information about a disease process or an infection or risk or other kind of exposure. So in this specific study, which was published in May of this year in eBiomedicine, They measured an enzyme called butyral cholinesterase, or abbreviated BCHE, which is involved in triggering the nervous system, our central nervous system, to do basic functions like, like for example, breathing or maintaining our blood pressure levels. So in this study, they found that infants who died of SIDS had lower amounts of this enzyme than children who died from other causes. Right. And so I think it's really important to note that this is just one study that was done on only 67 infants. And we still have a really long way to go to see if this is ever going to be used clinically or possibly in prevention of SIDS. But at this point, we want to stress that although the scientific research is great, practicing safe sleep is the best thing we can do to reduce some of these horrific events. Mm -hmm. We did a podcast episode on safe sleep before this new update occurred, and many of the guidelines really didn't change. That's right. But as research has advanced and there are additional factors that the AAP feels are contributing to an unsafe sleep environment, we have to be able to comment on them. So let's give a little background about sudden infant death and unsafe sleep. This is really an unimaginable tragedy for families 
And we want to do everything in our power to make sure as few families as possible have to go through this. Right. So we know that somewhere around 3,500 infants die from sleep-related infant death annually in the United States. And while this number decreased by about 50% after the AAP implemented their back-to-sleep campaign, which was, you know, making sure that babies were always placed on their back in the crib with nothing else in the crib, they introduced that in the 1990s. But we know over the last 10 years or so, the number of infant deaths have kind of plateaued and isn't really decreasing anymore. The risks of sleep-related infant deaths are up to 67 times higher when sleeping with somebody on a couch or soft armchair or cushion, and 10 times higher when sleeping with someone who is impaired because of fatigue or use of sedating medications or substances such as alcohol or illicit drugs or as a smoker. And the risk of death while co-sleeping also increases five to ten times when an infant is under four months of age, is sharing the surface with someone who is not a parent, or was born premature or at a low birth weight. And unfortunately, these risks affect communities of color more, with the rate of sudden unexpected infant death among Black and American Indian Alaskan Native infants being almost triple the rate of white infants. Yeah, so we really can and have to do better with this. And these guidelines, again, reaffirm and expand upon the importance of safe sleep. So let's start by talking about what has not changed. Yeah, so I think most parents know that it's recommended and they're usually forced to watch some sort of video before they leave the hospital Mm -hmm. (laughs) that they should place their newborn and infant in a crib or bassinet with a firm mattress on their back with nothing in the crib except for a tight-fitting sheet for all naps and at bedtime. So no cute stuffed animals, no pillows, no crib bumpers. And really, we recommend doing this until your infant is a year old. So I was pretty crazy about safe sleep with Mira. (laughs) And sometimes around six months, every time I put her in her crib on her back, she would roll right over onto her belly (laughs) for her sleep immediately. And Mm -hmm. for the first like week, I would just like walk in there and like put her back. And then she would flip back over and I would walk in and put her back. But it is important to know that for parents that this is okay. So if your infant is a really good roller... You don't need to hover over them and continue to flip them back over. The key is that when you put them in the crib, you always put them down on their back. Many parents also may remember that room sharing, but not bed sharing, is recommended for the first six months of life. Room sharing has been shown to decrease the risk of SIDS by as much as 50%. And many listeners may also remember that infants are at higher risk of SIDS if the caregiver smokes and that breastfeeding as well as pacifiers, seem to provide some protection against SIDS. Okay, so what's new in these guidelines? Yeah, so the new guidelines have taken a stance against any sleep surfaces that are inclined greater than 10 degrees. So one thing that some parents may have heard if they have a baby that struggles with reflux or really frequent spitting up is to like place a wedge under the mattress so that it's still not in the crib with them, but like underneath sort of to elevate the head of the bed of the newborn to help prevent reflux. But this is not recommended. This is advised against in the new guidelines. So it's probably worth talking about reflux and spitting up for a minute, as many parents have the fear that if they put their baby on their back at night and they spit up, that they're going to choke on their spit up. Right. 
very, very common concern. But thankfully, babies have anatomy of their upper airway that's really designed to prevent this. Their gag reflex triggers really easily and closes off the airway from the esophagus to prevent that from happening. So you can rest easy that your baby can sleep safely on their back, even if they frequently spit up. The new guidelines also comment on wearable items and which are okay and which are (laughs) no-nos. So I have a confession to make. Um, Mira slept in a hat for the first few weeks of her life. And also we briefly used a weighted sleep sack, both of which are now not recommended by the AAP. (laughs) Well, she made it through that, huh? (laughs) Thank goodness. Yeah. So the no hat recommendation is probably twofold. One, we know that overheating is a cause of SIDS. And most babies don't need a hat to stay warm. Just dress them in one layer more than you're comfortable in. And second, if that hat comes off, if it falls off, which we know is common with squirmy babies, it can also be a suffocation risk. Mm -hmm. It does make sense. And the guideline recommends against weighted sleep sacks. They say that swaddling is fine as long as your infant is not showing signs of readiness to begin to roll. But it's important to know that there is no research to suggest that swaddling on its own reduces the risk of SIDS. How about those baby monitors that monitor oxygen levels or heart rates and they claim to reduce the risk of SIDS? Yeah, so they actually made a statement on those as well in these updated guidelines recommending against their use. There has been no evidence to show that they truly reduce the risk of SIDS. They may cause a a false sense of security in some families, like thinking, oh, I don't need to like check in on them. They have their monitor on. But in my anecdotal experience, I actually think they cause way more parental anxiety because they're like alarming because they fell off the foot and they're constantly watching them and you know the kid has to wear this like special little sock when they sleep and they just seem unnecessary are not shown to actually have a benefit and to me create more anxiety Mm -hmm. that makes sense So I think we covered the main updates of the sleep recommendations, but we would be remiss if we didn't acknowledge that many people do choose to co-sleep despite these recommendations. One study done by the CDC estimated that over 60% of families admit to co-sleeping. Right, and really just read the comment section of any of the news articles covering these recommendations, and you will see that people have very big and colorful feelings about this topic. And so while we acknowledge this, we cannot support co-sleeping of any kind because of the evidence. But for families that do choose to, there are three practices in particular that significantly increase the risk of death in your um, child by 10 times or more that I always counsel parents should be aware of and avoid. So the first is bed sharing when the parent's alertness is impaired due to fatigue or medications. The second would be if the parent in the home is a smoker or uses tobacco products. And the third is if they are sleeping on a soft surface, such as a couch or a waterbed. Right. Those are big no-nos. Only slightly less hazardous than this is bed sharing with an infant less than four months old, an infant born prematurely or low birth weight, or with anyone who is not the infant's parent. So I always counsel on those things for families that do disclose to me that they do co-sleep. Okay, so we just reviewed the updated guidelines on safe sleep, and you mentioned that breastfeeding is protective against SIDS. 
And the AAP also just released updated guidance on breastfeeding, right? Yes, it did. And the update didn't have quite as many changes. It's titled Breastfeeding and the Use of Human Milk. It was also published in the July 2022 issue of Pediatrics. And that's a much friendlier title, isn't it? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) So many listeners may already be aware that the AAP recommends exclusive breastfeeding for the first six months of life, followed by continued breastfeeding in addition to complementary food introduction for the first year. Like we have discussed in prior episodes on breastfeeding, we know that breastfeeding is linked to decreased rates of lower respiratory tract infections in infants, decreased rates of diarrhea, ear infections, and obesity in children. What this guideline update does is stress that there are continued benefits to the mom and the infant who choose to breastfeed beyond a year of age, up to two years or beyond. Yeah, really long-term breastfeeding is associated with protections against diabetes, high blood pressure, and cancers of the breast and ovaries for the mom. The hopes of the American Academy of Pediatrics in providing this updated guidance is that moms who choose to breastfeed past this one-year mark get more support from their employers and medical providers to help facilitate them in doing this. Right, so that would be extra break time for pumping, continued past that one year, and support like a place that they can do it and all of that. I mean, I'm really happy to see the AAP get on board with this. The World Health Organization has already supported this. And I have so many friends who have told me that they felt judged or kind of were not supported for their decisions to continue breastfeeding their children past a year and kind of left them feeling conflicted about what to do if their child didn't seem ready to give up breastfeeding. And Personally, as a mom that pumps at work, currently, I am like counting down the days until that year is up so that (laughs) we can stop. Like maybe I'll breastfeed her for bonding time at night past this, but I'm ready to stop pumping during the day. So it's really important for moms to remember this isn't telling you you have to continue to breastfeed until a year um, or that that's the best thing for your baby. It's just saying that it's it is a totally viable healthy option to continue um, as long as it's something that is desired by both mom and baby. Absolutely. And the other good thing this new breastfeeding guideline does is acknowledge the racial disparities that exist within breastfeeding as white, Hispanic, and Latino and Asian families initiate breastfeeding at higher rates than black families. The policy calls for addressing implicit bias, structural bias, and structural racism to eliminate disparities in breastfeeding. Right. It also acknowledges challenges faced by gender-diverse families and how to be inclusive surrounding breastfeeding and access to human milk. I will never forget one time when I was a resident and I walked into this lovely family who had just had a beautiful baby who was born by surrogate. And there were two dads that were in there and they were laughing watching this video that the hospital was making them watch before they went home on the benefits of breastfeeding uh, before (laughs) they could be discharged. And like, thankfully, they were so, you know, funny and sweet. But it, of course, left me feeling uneasy because they were not going to breastfeed this child and they were going to you know, give formula or donor milk. And it was just totally absurd that they had to watch it before going home. And so it just reminds us that we have to be aware of each family's unique situation. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's like the hospital wanted to get that off their checklist, right? Right. It was a checklist. (laughs) Yes, exactly. (laughs) 
So this is an important milestone for the AAP to address this in their guidelines. The guideline also shares that most maternal conditions and many medications are fine to take while you're breastfeeding because we're always concerned about that. Your pediatrician has access to a database that can look up any medications that you're taking to ensure that they're safe for your baby. Right. There was a time, like one of my first month of maternity leave, I got like a mole biopsied and they just used like a little bit of topical lidocaine. And the physician was like, oh, you should pump and dump for the rest of the day. And I was like, um, yeah, no, I'm not going to do that. But thank you (laughs) for that recommendation. So if you ever get advice like that, that you feel like maybe it wasn't the best or you have concerns, you're like, oh, my allergies are really bad. Can I take my Zyrtec and still breastfeed the baby? Just message your pediatrician. I'm also happy to report that they included a comment in the guideline that it's totally fine to have up to one drink per day and that's not known to be harmful to the infant. So cheers for your glass of wine occasionally at night. But we know that women should continue to avoid smoking marijuana as we really don't know the effects that it has on infants. I think that covers the big updates to the recent AAP guidelines, and we hope that it helps patients and parents and pediatricians feel more comfortable navigating caring for infants at home. So let's summarize today's topic. We know that 3,500 infants approximately each year die from sleep-related infant death in the U.S. By practicing safe sleep, we know we can avoid many of these. We reviewed the newest AAP safe sleep guidelines, including highlighting those practices that are highest risk for sleep-related death, such as sleeping on a soft surface, including a couch or armchair, sleeping with someone under the influence of drugs or alcohol, or sleeping with an infant um, who was born prematurely or less than four months of age. We reviewed the changes, including recommending against inclined sleep surfaces, hats, weighted sleep sacks, and wearable monitoring devices. And we also reviewed the new breastfeeding guidelines. Amazingly, the new guideline supports breastfeeding up to two years of age or beyond, as long as mutually desired by mom and baby. And we would like to thank Dr. Adrian Hoyt-Austin, a pediatrician and breastfeeding medicine researcher at UC Davis Children's Hospital, for reviewing this episode, although Dr. Lena and I take full responsibility for any errors or misinformation. And that reminds me of a joke. (laughs) Yes. How do baby bats learn to sleep upside down? How? they slowly get the hang of it. (laughs) That's a good one. That wraps up this episode of Kids Considered. You can find more information on our website, kidsconsidered.ucdavis.edu. Follow us on Twitter at Kids Considered. And Instagram at Kids Considered. If you have feedback on this show or topics you would like us to discuss in the future, we would love to hear from you. Please call us. Our number is 916-915-3388. Or email us at kidsconsidered at gmail.com. Please rate us on iTunes or wherever you subscribe to your podcasts. Thank you for listening, and we hope you will join us for our next podcast. Kids Considered is sponsored by UC Davis Children's Hospital.